0: hello my fellow ripplers this is chris miles your cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor one more show that's for you those that you work so hard for your money and you're not ready for your money start working harder for you right now you want that freedom you want that cash flow today not waiting 30 or 40 years from now if you're lucky but you want that life today so you can live that life that you love with those that you love but it's not just about getting rich although that's awesome too it's about living a rich life because as you're blessed financially you have the greater capacity and means to bless the lives of those around you. Thank you for tuning in today, guys. Thank you for being a part of this ripple effect because I can't do it without you. And hopefully I've been able to add value in your life as well. If so, guys, hey, leave a review. I would love you to do so. Leave a review on on iTunes or YouTube, like and subscribe or whatever it might be. But please uh, leave us a great review. If, if this has created any value for you at all, please do so today. Hey, how amazing would it be if you could create monthly cash flow, passive income from making at least double digit returns on your money and get this, it's only a thousand dollars or more that you need to invest. Guys, that's exactly what Secured Investment Corp does. They actually do short-term lending to real estate investors that's backed by real estate that you can actually earn double digit returns on. That means 10% or better. It's also IRA friendly. And you can even reinvest those monthly distributions to create compound interest on your money too. So guys, if you want to learn more about that, go check out securedinvestmentcorp.com. That's secured, S-E-C-U-R-E-D, investmentcorp.com. All right. So I want to talk about some. Now, I'm going to preface this. Uh, This person is a friend of mine. Uh, This person is is a great, awesome coach. Um, He's been great in the real estate space. So I'm taking nothing away from him that way. And really... Even the advice that's being given, not all of it, I, I, in fact, most of it, I would say I agree with. Okay, so I'm going to just focus on a few key points. Um, there's a lot of points here, but I, I've seen him post this a lot of times and even talk about this one-on-one and personally. Uh, and him and I have even had you know, a, a time, a little interchange about some of these tips here because – Here's the truth. When you have people that are successful in a certain realm, many times people might think they want to listen to them in other areas too. Like, for example, I wouldn't take marriage advice from me necessarily. Like I've learned a few things, but I'm not saying I'm the I'm the best guy for giving you marital advice. In fact, don't take any of my advice at all if you don't want to. Financial, great. Investing, awesome. You know, when it comes to that stuff that I've actually experienced and done and I've helped others do too and I've replicated it many, many times, that's a whole different story They're trying to ask me about, for example, uh, macro, even macronutrients, right? Micronutrients, macronutrients, and doing health stuff. Hey, I love that. Health is probably my second love, but you know what? I'm not that great. Business, leadership, I know some things, of course, but again, I'm not saying I'm like the authority in these areas, right? I, I I know just enough to be dangerous. I've known some things that work for me, but I'm not saying that take all my advice in every aspect of my life, right? Take the advice of something that you actually do well. Well, this guy has gone more the coaching route. He is amazing at teaching coaches how to do what they do. And, and so I'm taking nothing away there. But when it comes to his own personal financial uh, type of opinions, they're just that, they're opinions, all right? So I want to talk about these because they're not uncommon. In fact, it's almost like he took this out of the book out of like the millionaire next door sometimes, I wonder, right? And maybe he did, you know, so uh anyways so here's he talks about the top 10 financial rules that can cha- make your for money that'll change your life for the better uh here's the interesting thing not, a, not all of these are financial rules so i think that's kind of interesting uh for example one of these rules he puts is walk at least one mile every day well i agree with that but i wouldn't call that a financial rule you might say indirectly it helps you with wealth you know but uh, i wouldn't call that a financial rule when it comes to how you use your money walking you know, not necessarily the same thing. Right. Uh, I mean, he even talks about reading books every day. I totally agree with that too. So a lot of the things outside of the financial realm that he's telling you to do, I agree with, but sadly, uh, two of these 10 aren't even financial rules. Um, but you know, it's funny because when you speak with confidence, everybody loves it. Right. So let's talk about number one. He says, measure your net worth every month with your significant other, like your partner or spouse and set a net worth goal. Now, his, his perspective is that net worth is more important than anything, right? I, I kind of agree with this one. To a to a level, to a degree, there's cause and effect. Understand that net worth, which is measuring your assets minus your liabilities, right? Things that you own versus the things that you owe on. You subtract those out, you get your net worth. Now, he says, you should be tracking that every month. And I agree. I do agree with that. It's It could be a slow process, but here's what you want to see. You want to see that pattern trending upward, but it's not the cause. I would actually... Propose this instead is that cash flow, your income minus your expenses, and having that being positive is more important than net worth. Why? Because what happens when you have positive cash flow? What happens when you have money left over every month? It goes one of two places. Either it goes to savings. This is assuming you don't blow it. Obviously, when you have more money every month, that's because you didn't spend it, right? So you're either going to add it to savings, which improves your net worth, or two, you pay off a debt. You maybe put extra on a debt, which also, when you pay down a debt, improves your net worth. Right. So it's the income and minus your expenses, that cash flow, that profit that you have in your life that then creates the positive net worth. So I would just say focus on the cause rather than the result. I, I do both. I track both, just so you know. But uh, I know he's all about net worth, net worth, net worth. No, because here's the problem. If you do some of these other rules he's talking about doing, his net worth could drop even if he has positive cash flow. And I'll get into that why that could actually happen in a little bit. Here's one that I actually do agree with. This is kind of like a uh, this is would be much, much like a richest man in Babylon type of rule. It says on every dollar you receive, pay your taxes immediately, tithe 10%, save 10%. He says live on 40%. Now, living on 40% can be pretty tough. If you're a high-income earner, this is easier. But this could be pretty dang tough if you're making $50,000 a year to try to live on 20000 a year. Right? That's, it's not very realistic, especially given some of the rules he keeps saying in, in later on. Uh, I think that's an ideal and so, I'm not saying that you can do that, but I'm just saying that that's not realistic in many, many cases, especially given certain circumstances. So, um, but I do like overall, yes, I, I like to tithe 10%. I do that every time. I do that even before. Uh, heck, I even do that before paying taxes, even though taxes might come out first, right? But uh, the money that I do get, 10%, I do tithe on. And then, yes, 10%, I think you should save at least that much. Um, I would even argue uh, maybe it's 10% for savings. But I would even argue towards like twenty to thirty percent to savings, still trying to leave you at least uh, you know sixty to seventy percent to live on. So that's kind of my my basic premise. That's the ideal. I'm not saying it's possible in every month. And I'm not saying it's possible in every situation right away. But that's what you would want to work towards. Now number three, this is the one I probably have the biggest beef with right here. In fact, you know what? I'm going to come back to that one i'm gonna save that one for last okay let's go to some of these other ones number four he says only use a credit card for online purchases never a debit card get one with cashback rewards and pay it back in full every month you know in general i kind of like this um i do like to use credit cards for online purchases i do like either rewards or some kind of rewards like i have a delta you know card right where i get sky miles and things like that awesome i think that's great I know not everybody agrees with this because you know you talk to a guy like a Dave Ramsey, he's going to hate this, right? But I do like using that, assuming that, of course, like he says, you pay back in full every month. So this one I do agree with. I think that's a good a good point to talk about here. Um, number six, because I'm going to skip the ones that are non-financial. He says, only pay cash for your cars, either $5,000 or up to 8% of your net worth every five years. Never finance or lease a personal car. This one I'm going to have to say I definitely don't agree with, Okay. First and foremost, have you seen what cars look like now at $5,000? <laughs> um, now, this rule might have been great a few years ago, several years ago. Yes, yeah, so you can buy a cheap car for $5,000. I've looked. I've got kids that are teenagers. We look for cars at the $5,000 range. they are pieces of crap that can barely even run themselves. Okay, They're, I would not even trust my child to be in that kind of car. Now, I'm not about like trying to buy kids brand new cars. I'm not like that at all. I, I want them to pay their own way. I want them to be able to cover their own things like I had to do growing up. That being said, you know, trying to go a 5,000 or 8% of your net worth. Well, where does that come in? Uh, okay. So let's say it's 8% of your net worth. Let's say your net worth is say $10,000. Does that mean you should only get an $800 car? Now it might not be that your cash flow is in a bad position, right? Because $10,000 net worth, it might be that, yes, you've got debt. Maybe you had student loans and things you're paying back on. And you've got a few things you own, but maybe you don't own a house yet. So you don't really have that you might have even have savings, but the savings may not be enough to really pay maybe it's barely enough to pay your student loans, but that would be unwise to use all your savings to pay off your debt so to say eight percent of your net worth or five thousand uh, dollars I, I, that's a little bit too rigid in my opinion. I like where he's going with this because here's the overall principle that you should do is don't buy something you can't afford right that's the overall principle I do agree with but what happens is maybe times people get stuck on the numbers, right? Like, and it's nice to have numbers. I get it because it's easy to have a benchmark, but those numbers need to be individualized to you. And so when he's saying pay $5,000 or 8% of your net worth, what if your net worth is $100,000, which by the way, is pretty good? If you're not a homeowner, it's really good. Most people that have net positive net worth, usually because they own a home and it appreciated without them doing anything, but it doesn't change the cash flow of their situation, it doesn't make them any better off. I know plenty of people that have decent net worth but are cash poor. They couldn't even afford a car payment, even though they have a half million net worth. Well, would that mean they should buy a $40,000 car? car? Well, not according to him because if they have to finance it, because maybe they don't have enough cash to do it, they have to finance it. Well, that would be bad because they don't have enough, again, enough money to do it. Well, maybe that 500,000 is all equity in their house. It's not cash in their hands. No, you would not pay cash for that car so that's where there's some limitations there okay um, i i just don't agree with that even though i i like that he's trying to create something measurable I, I do like that part it's just it's not possible and by the way never finance or lease a personal car guess what i do i actually finance the car i actually bought a car and got a loan on it for 3.9 percent it was a three-year car loan now it's a higher payment because it's a three-year term right so it is a little higher payment but 3.9% I know I can make money on that all day long. I will finance that because I know I can make more money with the rest of my money elsewhere. Even if it were 7%, I still know I can beat that 7%. Now, do I always like that carry car loan? No, I don't. But here's the problem I have. A lot of times when people make a lot of money, they start creating rules especially around debt. They'll say things like, "You know what? You don't need, you know, you you, you don't you don't you, you should pay off your debt right away. You should be debt free." But what they don't say is well, on my journey there, I leveraged debt to help me get to this point. And then they pay off their debt because now I have more money than they know what to do with. But then they're going to try to accuse you and say, well, you should be debt-free. You should pay off your debt. That's what I did. No, you leveraged debt and then you went and got debt-free, right? And some people have bootstrapped it. Fine, whatever. But if you're a wise steward of your money, not if you're, you're going to blow money and spend or gamble it, that's not cool. But if you're going to be a wise steward of your money, leveraging banks is not a bad thing especially if the interest rates aren't that bad and yes i as i said it seven or eight percent is not that bad and especially if i know i can make more than that i'm going to do that each and every day okay so that's what i mean by that now do i always have debt because no sometimes if you just have enough cash and this is my case too you have enough cash you're like well i could go invest it but i just want one less bill to pay it's just more convenient yes the numbers work in my favor to not pay it off but I'm just going to pay it off. So there's one less bill I have to deal with, right? Still, you could, you could try to have that automated and it comes out and it doesn't even mess with your life at all. So anyways, I don't think you should never, I think the whole thing about never lease or never finance. I I don't think that's a good rule in every situation because there are some times you can get 0% leases or financing. I mean, not for 0% right now, but there are incentive programs just like I got the 3.9% in today's current higher interest rate environment because they're trying to incentivize people to buy cars. Now, if it got ridiculous, if it were 18%, you betcha, I'm gonna recommend buying cash if you can, or try to pay it off as quickly as possible if you can't pay cash for it. So again, case by case, principles always rule. Princi- principle of the matter is don't buy a car you cannot afford, right? But the rule is, you know, that's, that's more of a rule. A principle is a rule, but the guideline about trying to put numbers on it, not so much. Okay, I'm going to stop beating that dead horse for now, but it's going to come back later. I'm going to tell you why. Number seven, stop renting and become a homeowner ASAP. In general, I agree with this, but I don't. Okay, Uh, I actually think renting can be okay. Now, like the point I made earlier, yes, because there can be appreciation where you do jack squat that can help you be in a better position. But I'm going to put a huge but on this. There are times and markets and seasons where renting is better. In many markets right now, renting is better than buying a house. And that's okay. It's okay to rent. I know plenty of guys that are multimillionaires right now, just renting. They cashed in all their chips. They said, I'm not going to be in the market anymore, especially if they're like in California. They don't trust the market anyways, but they cash in their chips and they're just renting that's fine. If you want to be more mobile, you want to not have to feel so rooted in one place. Renting can be a good option to give you more flexibility, especially if you know that your life might be in flux. There might be some transitions. Maybe you're single. You might be married later on. You might just want to rent rather than own. I'm not saying you couldn't own while you're single too. That could be a good thing as well. I'm just saying it's not as cool as what people think it is because here's reality when it comes to owning a house. That owning a house, guess what? There's a lot of responsibility. You got to fix your own crap. Right. At least when you're rent, you don't have to fix anything. You don't pay all this extra money. You might pay a little bit for certain things, but when things break down, like when my basement flooded last year, we paid over a hundred grand to repair my basement. If I were renting, that wouldn't have had to be me. I wouldn't have to pay the hundred grand. It would have been the owner. So for me to have to come out of pocket, that was expensive. General maintenance and upkeep, you know, is much more expensive uh, than just the house payment. So even if rent was a little bit more per month. There's a good argument for why you might rent instead. It's a lot less headache, a lot less responsibility. If you'd rather focus on other things in your life than your house and all the things that come with it, that's a, not, that's a good argument to go rent. Now, I love the fact that being a homeowner does allow me to grow my money, grow my wealth, especially when you sell the property, not so much when you're in it, just having the equity. When you sell the property, when you have that money in your hands, that can be awesome. It can be a great way to supercharge and boost some money that you could leverage to create more passive income. But again, don't let that be the case. If you're paycheck to paycheck right now, you shouldn't even be worrying about owning a home. Now you might want to shoot for that, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't shoot for a home ownership, but I'm just saying, you know, if you're paycheck to paycheck and I've seen several people say, well, I want to be able to buy a home. Why? Well, because that's the American dream. Is it? Is it really? Because you can rent and they'll still let you paint your walls sometimes. Okay. What's the American dream really about? Ownership. Okay, cool. But the truth is when you die, guess what? Do you own that house? Nope. You don't, you know, so um, I, again, I look at things as stewardship, not just ownership, right? So again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have home ownership. I'm just saying there's a good reason to not have a home ownership too. Uh, and number eight, he talks about moving savings from low interest banks at 0.1% to high interest savings savings accounts. Duh, good good advice, I, I agree. Carry health, auto, home insurance and choose plans with high deductibles. Also something you'll hear me talk about a lot, even the Wealth Accelerator Academy, right? I've talked about that in, in one of those sections. That's all great. Let me come back to the point now, the number one point that I have a big disagreement with. And it's this one. This is going back to his number three. It says, it says, on the portion you save, so he's talking about the 10% you were supposed to be saving, right? On the portion you save, invest 50% into real estate, okay? 20% into the stock market. He says, SP 500, specifically the stock S&P, uh, the index. And he says, and never sell it, is what he says. And he says, keep 20% in cash. Put 5% into physical gold and 5% into high risk, high return speculative investments like crypto, other individual stocks, etc. I have a horrible time with this. And him and I actually talked about this because, well, let's be honest. Uh, I, I had to tell him the, that the returns he thought he was getting in the stock market were false. I was like, that's actually not the returns you're getting. You know, that's not the case. He was, re, he was spouting out things like Dave Ramsey had said. I was like, no, 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 buddy. I respect you. You're an amazing business owner. But here I'm going to disagree because the stock market does not average 12 percent a year. Okay, it just does not happen. Even the ones he's recommending, it does not happen. <laughs> you know, and, and even people that do know the stock market will even say that's wrong. Okay, just like they tell Dave Ramsey, no, that's not true. The market does not return that high. The SP 500, as you know, only averages about. It's only been averaging about eight percent a year. Now, if you throw in like dividends reinvested, it might add a 1.6. You might be at nine and a half percent a year if you're lucky. It could be lower, might be slightly higher, but you pretty much are not getting 10 or 12% a year. That's the truth, okay? So he's saying 50% of real estate because, of course, he does love real estate, but to put 20% into the the S&P 500 and never sell it, well, for what purpose? What's the whole purpose of buying the S&P 500 to never sell it? Is this somehow going to become part of your investment portfolio? Maybe. And again, I'm not opposed to having money in the market. even Now, individual stocks, I mean, 5% in speculative stuff, sure. Um, that's okay. As long as it doesn't destroy your path, I'll kind of come back to the, maybe some rules that, or some guidelines that could change there. But again, you know, put 20% in the cash. That's great, but only to some degree, uh, unless that 20% is going to go into things, things like buy more real estate, but just to only build up cash, 20%, eventually you're going to get to a point saying, I've got enough cash, right? And that's going to redirect and and move, and, and for some of you, if you're just starting out, you might put hundred percent into cash, into a savings account, and just start there. You know, we talk about infinite banking, which could be part of that savings account type plan. That's liquid and money you can be using to build up an emergency fund, and then later invest too. If you assuming you have enough in your emergency fund, um, but to say that you know you're going to put twenty percent in the stock market, twenty percent just in the SP 500, then another five percent in the speculative stuff. Well, in my opinion, the SP 500 is speculative, zero control. Zero whatsoever. Again, I'm not opposed to it, but if I were to go into something like the S&P 500, I'm going to wait for a market crash. I'm going to wait for a good couple years of down before I say, now it's time to buy. When nobody else wants to buy the the stock market, that's when I like to buy. Same thing when he talks about crypto and individual individual stocks. I put this all in speculative because they are speculative. Same thing with crypto. Great. It's starting to roar up around $50,000 again. Awesome. That doesn't mean I want to buy some now, right? That's why I bought when, after it crashed. I would buy it then. And by the way, no, I did not buy after the last crash. I didn't trust it even then. I don't trust that's going to be a big moneymaker from this point forward. I could be wrong, but, uh, but that's the speculative thing. I do have still some Bitcoin in my possession, but uh, again, not, not a focus, right? So uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that you should be not doing this, but for someone who, who does know real estate really well, I would definitely be much more confident in doing real estate more than 50%. Again, you can try to be diversified, but here's what I'd say. Here's the here's the exception to the rule. When you're starting out, there's different phases of your wealth you're trying to grow. Remember, many of these people, when they get to a certain point in their life and their wealth, they start speaking from that perspective there, but not where you are right now. With where you are right now, if you're not out of the rat race, if you're not work optional, if you don't have enough passive income to be able to quit your job, the focus should be on buying real asset-backed, like real estate-backed cash-flowing investments. You should be focusing a lot of your money there. Be, Emergency reserves and cash flowing investments. Trying to, trying to diversify into all these different areas to try to build it up. And by the way, I like gold, physical gold and silver. I like those kind of things too and have some metals. But that, guys, you want to get to that first phase, which is getting out of the rat race. Now, once you're out of the rat race, once you've got more than enough income coming in that you could quit, even if you decide not to quit, once you get to that point, then you can start diversifying in some different areas. Maybe you might put a little higher percentage in some speculative things to grow your money in different ways. Maybe again, I'm not a big risk taker. I, I like, I'm probably more conservative than almost all of you because I put zero in the stock market right now. And the only time I want to put money in the stock market is after it's tanked. And even then it's speculative, a very small percentage of my wealth. And I'm at the point where I'm out of the rat race. I'm in that next phase, right? So there is a time and a place for doing these kind of things, but individual stocks, I typically stay away. I'm not saying it's bad because, Hey, we've got people, even clients that will still do that. I'm just saying, get yourself out of the rat race first, focus there, accomplish that objective. then diversify and build your wealth in some other places where if you lose money, it's not going to cripple you. You're still going to be okay. That's kind of what I would say is my general blanket advice in general, right? Is, is focus first on cash flowing investments, then later diversify to build wealth in, in other ways. So anyways, uh, I thought it was interesting because again, just because somebody's good in their field, doesn't necessarily mean they're good in all areas of their life and that all this stuff is good. It's okay to disagree with them. And so again, like I think this guy is a rock star. I love him. I I love his stuff and everything. I think he's the coolest person ever. But there's some of these these financial things I I see that I wonder if it's really him saying it or he just learned it from somebody else. That's more like that Dave Ramsey saver financial advisor mentality. That's the kind of thing that I I try to question and look at. So overall, he's got great points. But those few things about owning versus renting your house, about whether whether or not you even can finance a car or how much you, you should be able to buy a car in cash as well as investing your money in the markets especially when they're, they're you're gambling in those markets you know i tend not to agree with as much so you can decide for yourself these might be rule those kind of suggestions he gave you might like this is just my own two cents to to kind of give you a different perspective and and to kind of show you that even though i was a trader in the stock market i have a different perspective i actually traded in the stock market more than he has And I still won't want to put money in the stock market. So that's just my own personal thing. I'm not giving investment advice here. There's my disclaimer for everybody. Um, I'm not giving investment advice, but the biggest thing I want you to do is keep educating yourself, listen to different perspectives and do what's right for your money and yourself and your life. Guys, if we can help you in any way, you can always reach out to us through moneyripples.com. Go and make a wonderful, prosperous week. See you later. Visit us online at moneyripples.com for more resources to help you fix money leaks and get your money working harder for you now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>